So, has anybody seen the movie Infamous with Toby Jones and Sandra Bullock? It was written in 2006, or released in 2006. It's a documentary, well, a docudrama about him and Harper Lee going to Kansas and writing this story in cold blood. So, it's super interesting, but the movies, when the movie starts off, they're talking about socialites and something something is going to happen he's going to write something big about these socialites and you kind of hear about it his see you kind of see him talking about or them talking about the behind the scenes in his social life and then it goes on to be more about in cold blood and the and how he wrote in cold blood for the new yorker so i was always really interested in what was happening i saw a few document not documentaries but talk shows on youtube with truman capote i think there's three with william f buckley there might be two but there i think that there's three you can kind of see him slowly sliding down in each interviews he does he is very intelligent and well spoken the last one is absolutely devastating you see him fall from grace and it's very sad, so I have a lot of empathy for him. I want to know more about Truman Capote, and I was wanting to talk about him, because he's very interesting. I found an article in Vanity Fair about what had happened with the book he was going to write about the socialites in New York that he was friends with. I'm going to get to that now. So the article is called Capote's Swan Dive by Sam Kashner. Have you seen Esquire? Call me as soon as you, you're finished. New York Society Doyen Ray Paley asked her friend Slim Keith over the telephone when the November 1975 issue hit the stands. Keith, then living at the Pierre Hotel, sent me downstairs for a copy. I read it, and I was absolutely horrified. She later confided to writer George Plimpton. The story about the sheets... The story about Anne Woodward, there was no question in anybody's mind who it was. The story they were reading in Esquire was Lakoti Basque, 1965, but it wasn't so much a story as an atomic bomb that Truman Capote built all by himself in his UN Plaza apartment at his beach house in Sagaponic, Long Island. It was the first installment of Answered Prayers, the novel that Truman believed would be his masterpiece. So guys, what do you think he was thinking writing this book? Well, writing these articles, his friends must have been terrified. But you see, Capote was going through it at the time. You have to remember, he wrote In Cold Blood in 1960. I think it was 1960. He became world famous for creating the true crime drama. Before he wrote In Cold Blood, he had written Breakfast at Tiffany's. Truman was so interesting to me. He wrote, his genres were so completely different from the next. It was kind of like he dabbled in this and dabbled in that. 
normally writers kind of stay on the same path, right? Like, even when I talk to you guys, it's always about history. It's always pretty much the same thing. I don't really change too much. He did. He changed all of the time. That's why there's a lot of people that believe that Harper Lee's book, Harper Lee's book, To Kill a Mockingbird, was actually written by Truman Capote. Yeah, it's a conspiracy theory. People believe because Harper Lee and Truman Capote were friends, childhood friends in the Deep South, they believe that Truman actually wrote To Kill a Mockingbird because it's kind of true crime. But then we can kind of switch that around also and say, well, maybe Harper Lee actually wrote In Cold Blood because we all know that Truman was very effeminate and in the Deep South in the 1960s, he wasn't like easy to get along. Like people weren't accessible to him. So when he was doing his investigation for his book, he brought Harper Lee to Kansas with him to help him talk to people because people didn't want to talk to him. So I guess you can kind of say, well, maybe Harper Lee actually wrote In Cold Blood because Harper Lee was with him the whole time also. Anyways, so we'll get back to the article and then we'll talk about it a little bit more. He had boasted to his friend, Morella Agnelli, wife of Gianni Agnelli, chairman of the board, at Fiat, that Answer Prayers was going to do America. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. ...were proused to De France. He couldn't stop talking about his planned Roman Aclef. He told People magazine that he was constructing his book like a gun. There's the handle, the trigger, the barrel, and finally... The bullet and when that bullet is fired from the gun it's going to come out with a speed and power like you've never seen wham but he had unwittingly turned the gun on himself exposing the secrets of manhattan's rich and powerful was nothing short of social suicide he had been a literary darling since the age of 23 when his first no- novel other voices other rooms was published. 17 years later, in 1965, In Cold Blood, his extraordinary nonfiction novel about the brutal murder of the Clutters, a Kansas farm family, brought him international fame, sudden wealth, and literary accolades beyond anything he had experienced before. But trying to write answered prayers and its eventual fallout destroyed him. By 1984, after several unsuccessful stays at tryout centers, such as Helzaden and Smithers, Capote seemed to have given up, not only on the book, but on life. Abandoned by most of his society friends, locked in a brutal, self-destructive relationship with a middle-aged married man, married, former bank manager from Long Island, 
Truman was worn out or heartbroken. After Lakoti Basque, 1965, only two more of its chapters were published, both in Esquire, Unspoiled Monsters, May 1976, and Kate McLeod, December 1976. Mojave, which had appeared in Esquire in June 1975, was initially intended to be part of Answered Prayers, but Truman changed his mind about its inclusion. Truman had recorded in his journals the outline for the entire book, which would compromise seven chapters. The remaining four were titled, Thoughts and Things, and Audrey Wilder Sang, A Severe Insult to the Brain, which, according to urban legend, was the cause of death on Dylan Thomas's death certificate. And Father Flanagan's All Nighter, All Night, I'm Not Saying That. The provocative title for the teeth rattling concluding chapter, Truman claimed in his journals he had actually written it first. I don't even know what to say about that title. Y'all can look it up yourselves, you know. But was the novel ever completed? A number of Truman's friends, including Joanne Carson, the second wife of television host Johnny Carson, say that he had read various unpublished chapters to them. I saw them, Joanne recalls. He had a writing room in my house. He spent a lot of time here because it was a safe place and nobody could get to him. And he had many, many pages of manuscript and he started to read them. They were very, very good. He read one chapter, but then someone called. And when I went back, he just put them aside and said, I'll read them after dinner, but he never did. You know how that happens. So I remember in one of the interviews that I found on YouTube, he is talking with this woman and she's, she's, inter she's there interviewing him and they're recording and he's walking around his house in Long Island and he's making drinks with the, his all favorite hot sauce. And he's just so normal. I don't know how to explain it. He's, most people, when they when you see them do their interviews, they're very uptight and everything is perfect and everything is just so. But he's not like that. He's just a very natural, normal. It's, it, rem, it kind of reminds me of like, you know when you go and you visit your parents and you're just at home for the day. Your mom and dad are just talking. Your mom's, you know, kind of wandering around the house and, 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 and making you food and, and drinks and everything. It's just a very, like this, a very comforting, relaxing interview. And I don't know how to describe it because as the years age and as Capote gets older and he gets more and more ill in his sickness, he just changes so drastically. It's very sad. It's it's very sad to see. So yeah, we'll get back to the interview. But I wanted to throw that in there because I do remember that interview. And it is this very peaceful, very familiar feeling you get from watching him. After Capote's death on August 25th, 1984, just a month shy of his 60th birthday, Alan Schwartz, his lawyer, and literary exec executor, Gerald Clark, his friend and biographer, and Joe Fox, his Random House editor, searched for the manuscript of the unfin 
Spanish novel. Random House wanted to recoup something of the advances that had paid Truman, even if that involved publishing an incomplete manuscript. In 1966, Truman and Random House had signed a contract for answered prayers for an advance of $25,000 with a delivery date of January 1st, 1968. Three years later, they renegotiated to a three-book contract for an advance of $750,000 with delivery by September 1973. The contract was amended three more times with a final agreement of $1 million for delivery by March 1st, 1981. That deadline passed like all the others with no manuscript being delivered. Following Capote's death, Schwartz, Clark, and Fox searched Truman's apartment on the 22nd floor of the UN Plaza with its panoramic view of Manhattan and the United Nations. It had been bought by Truman in 1965 for $62,000 with his royalties from In Cold Blood. A friend, the set de designer Oliver Smith, noted that the UN Plaza building was glamorous, the place to live in Manhattan in the 1960s. The three men looked among the stacks of art and fashion books in Capote's cluttered Victorian sitting room and pored over his bookshelf, which contained various translations and editions of his works. They poked among the Tiffany lamps, his collection of paperweights, including the white rose paperweight given to him by Colette in 1948, and the dying geraniums that lined one window bachelor's plants, as writer Edmund White described them. They looked through drawers and closets and de desks, avoiding the three taxidermic snakes Truman kept in his apartment, one of them a cobra, rearing to strike. I know it wasn't frowned upon guys at the time, but I find that appalling. Same. The men scoured the guest bedroom at the end of the hallway, a tiny peach-colored room with a daybed a desk, a phone, and lavender taffeta curtains. Then, they descended 15 floors to the former maid's studio, where Truman had often written by hand on legal pads. We found nothing, Schwartz told Vanity Fair. Joanne Carson claimed that Truman had confided to her that the manuscript was tucked away in a safe deposit box in a bank in California. I don't know maybe Wells Fargo, and that he had handed her a key to it the morning before his death. But he declined to tell her which bank held the box. The novel will be found when it wants to be found, he told her cryptically. So that's interesting. Has any of you read, recently there was an article that came out that they found another book, a full novel written by Harper Lee. How interesting. Harper Lee and Truman Capote are so similar. It's shocking. I know they grew up together and they played together as young children, but their similarity can't describe it. In case any of you are wondering, her last book is called Go Set a Watchman. And I haven't read that book, so I don't really have a lot to say about Oh, so this is interesting. They're going to talk about in this article. I believe this is the Beach House 
with the interview I was telling you about earlier. The three men then traveled to Truman's rustic beach house, tucked away behind a scrub pine, privet hedges, and hydrangea on six acres in Sagaponic. They enlisted the help of two of Truman's closest friends in later years, Joe Petrosik and Myron Clement, who ran a small PR firm and had a house in nearby. He was just a wonderful person to us, a great friend, Clement recalls. Truman would talk to us about all these things that were going on in our answered prayers, says Petrosik. I remember I was at the other end of the couch and he's reading all this funny manuscript. Then he'd take a break, get up, and pour himself a story. But the thing is, at that time, none of us saw the actual manuscript. And then it occurred to me later, just before I nodded off, Maybe I made the whole thing up. He was such a wonderful, wonderful actor. Later on, though, Petrosik remembers he was traveling with Truman from Manhattan to Long Island when Truman handed me the manuscript to read on the ledge. I actually had it in my hands. But after a thorough search of the beach house, no manuscript was found. Now, Nearly 30 years later, the question remains, what happened to the rest of answered prayers? Did Truman destroy it? Simply lost it? Or hidden it? Or had he never written it at all? And why on earth did he publish Lakota Bass in 1965? So early, considering the inevitable backlash. Gerald Clark, author of The Masterful Capote, the biography recalls Truman telling him in 1972, I always plan this book as being my principal work. I'm going to call it a novel, but in actual fact, it's a romane clef. Almost everything in it is true, and it has every sort of person I've ever had any dealings with. I have a cast of thousands. He had begun thinking about it as early as 1958 and wrote a complete outline, and even an ending. He also wrote part of a screenplay that year with the title Answered Prayers, about a manipulative southern gigolo in his unhappy paramour. Though the screenplay was apparently abandoned, the idea took shape as a lengthy Prussian novel. The title is taken from St. Teresa of Avila, the 16th century Carmelite nun, who famously said, more tears are shed over answered prayers than unanswered ones. In a letter to Random House, publisher and co-founder Bennett Cerf, written from Paris, Paros, Greece, in the summer of 1958, Truman promised that he was in fact working on a large novel, my magnum opus, a book about which I must be very silent. The novel is called Answered Prayers, and if all goes well, I think it will answer mine. But before he could write it, another work took over Truman's life, In Cold Blood, begun in 1959. It would consume six years of his life, most of it spent living in Kansas, a world away from New York society. He loved and from the city where he felt he belonged. In Lakoti Basque, 1965, 
Kampodi turned his diamond brilliant, diamond hard artistry on the hot month day of New York Society fixtures. Gloria Vanderbilt, Babe Paley, Slim Keith, Lee Radswell, Mona Williams, elegant, beautiful women. He called them his swans. They were very swan men and very rich and also his best friends. In the story, Capote revealed their gossip, the secrets, the betrayals, even a murder. All literature is gossip, Truman told Playboy magazine after the controversy erupted. Capote says, what in God's green earth is Anna Karina? Or War and Peace? Or Madame Bovary? If not gossip, the story was intended to be the fifth chapter of the book. Its title referring to Henri Suave's celebrated restaurant on East 55th Street, across from the St. Regis Hotel. It was where the swans gathered to see lunch and to see and be seen. In the story, a literary hustler and bisexual prostitute named PJ Jones, Jonesy runs into Lady Ina Coolbert on the street, a much married and divorced society matron she had been stood up by the Duchess of Windsor, so she invites Jonesy to join her for lunch at one of the coveted tables at the front of the restaurant. Lady Coolbert, in Truman's words, is a big, breezy, preppy broad from the American West, now married to an English aristocrat. If she had looked in the mirror, she would have seen Slim Keith, who had been well and often married to film director Howard Hawks and film and theatrical producer Leland Hayward, before wedding the English banker Sir Kenneth Keith. So the story unfolds as a long, gossipy conversation, a monologue, really, delivered by Lady Coolbert over countless flutes of, of Rodere Cristal champagne. She observes the other ladies who lunch, Babe Paley and her sister Betsy Whitney, Lee Radswell and her sister Jacqueline Kennedy, and Gloria Vanderbilt, and her friend Carol Matho. Or, as Capote wrote, Gloria Vanderbilt and the Seiko Stokowski, Lume Cooper, and her childhood chum Carol Marcus Saroyan. 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 She married him twice. Matho women in their late 30s, but looking not much removed from the deputies when they were grabbing lucky balloons at the stork club. Other bold-faced names would appear undisguised, including Cole Porter coming on to a handsome Italian waiter, Princess Margaret, who makes snide comments about quote-unquote poofs, and Joe Kennedy jumping into bed with one of his daughter's 18-year-old school chums. Yikes. Lady Coolberth grouses about having got stuck on at a dinner next to Princess Margaret, who bored her into semi-unconsciousness. As for Gloria Vanderbilt, Capote presents her as empty-headed and vain, especially when she fails to recognize her first husband, who stops by her table to say hello. Oh, darling, let's not brood, says Carol consolingly. After all, you haven't seen him in over 20 years. When Vanderbilt read the story, she supposedly said, the next time I see Truman Capote, I'm going to spit in his face. 
I think Truman really hurt my mother, the CNN journalist and newscaster Anderson Cooper says today. But the, t- but the tale that spread like a prairie fire of Park Avenue was a thinly disguised account of a humiliating one-night stand endured by Sidney Dillon, a stand-in for Will, a stand-in for William, Bill Paley, the head of the C- the head of the CBS radio television network, and one of the most powerful men in New York at that time. Bill and Truman were friends, but Truman worshipped his wife, Barbara, Babe Paley. The tall, slim, elegant society doyen, widely considered to have been the most beautiful and chic woman in New York. Of Truman's hot Monday swans, Babe Paley was the most glamorous. Truman once noted in his journals, Mrs. P had only one fault. She was perfect. Otherwise, she was perfect. The Paley's practically adopted Truman. Photographs of the three of them at the Paley's house in Jamaica show the tall, handsome couple with tiny Truman standing beside them wearing swimming trunks and a cat that ate the canary kind of smile as if he were their parents as if he were their pampered son. The one-night stand in the story occurs between Dylan and the dowdy wife of a New York governor, possibly based on Nelson Rockefeller's second wife, Mary, known by her nickname, Happy. If she was a Cranishian, she was a Cranus protestant, size 40, who wears low-heeled shoes and lavender water. Truman Cabot wrote, he looked as if she wore tweed brassiers and played a lot of golf. Though married to the most be- though married to the most beautiful creature alive, Dylan desires the governor's wife because she represents the only thing that lies outside of Dylan's grasp. Acceptance by old money. Wasp society. A plum denied Dylan because he is Jewish. Dylan sits next to the governor's wife at a dinner party, flirts with her, and invites her up to his New York pay terre at the pier saying he wanted her opinion of his new bonnard. After they have intercourse, he discovers that her menstrual blood has left a stain, the size of Brazil, on his bed sheet. Worried that his wife will arrive at any moment, Dylan scrubs the sheets in his bathtub on his hands and knees and then attempts to dry it by baking it in the oven before replacing it on the bed. Within hours of the story's publication in Esquire, frantic phone calls were made all over the Upper East Side. Slim called back Babe, who asked of the Sidney Dillon character, you don't think it's Bill, do you? Of course not. Slim lied, but she had heard from Truman months earlier that indeed it was Bill Paley. Babe was horrified and heartbroken. She was seriously ill at the time with terminal lung cancer, and instead of blaming her husband for the infidelity, she blamed Truman for putting it in print. Sir John Richardson, the, accra- the acclaimed Picasso biographer and Vanity Fair contributing editor, saw her... Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. 
with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Often during the last months of her life, Babe was appalled by Lakota Basque. He recalls, people used to talk about Bill as a philanderer, but his affairs weren't the talk of the town until Truman's story came out. Babe would never speak to Truman again, but her response paled compared to the reaction of another one of Truman's subjects, Anne Woodward. She had achieved notoriety for having shot and killed her husband 20 years earlier, but the story had been largely forgotten before Lakota Basque was published. Woodward, Anne Hopkins and Truman's story, enters the restaurant, creating an immediate stir. Even the Bouvier sisters, Jacqueline and Mimi, take note. In Truman's retelling of the saga, Anne is a beautiful redhead from the West Virginia Hills, whose Manhattan Odyssey had taken her from Call Girl, the favorite lay of one of gangster Frankie Costello's shysters, to ultimately the wife of David Hopkins, William Woodward Jr., a handsome young scion of wealth and one of the bluest of New York's blue bloods. Annie is another of the many Holly Golightly figures who make their appearances. Throughout Truman's beautiful social climbing waves from the rural South who move to New York and reinvent themselves, not unlike Truman's own personal journey. But Anne continued to philander, and David, eager to divorce her, discovered that she had failed to dissolve a teenage marriage undertaken back in West Virginia, and thus, they weren't legally married after all. Terrified that he will kick her out, Anne takes advantage of a rash of break-ins in the neighborhood and loads a shotgun, which she keeps beside her bed. She fatally shoots David, claiming that she mistook him for an intruder. Her mother-in-law, Hilda Hopkins, Elsie Woodward, desperate to avoid a scandal, pays off the police and an inquest never brings charges against Anne for murder. On October 10, 1975, just a few days before the November Esquire appeared, Anne Woodward was found dead. Many believe that someone had sent her an advanced copy of Truman's story and she killed herself by swallowing cyanide. Now we'll never know, but it's possible that Truman's story pushed her over the edge, says Clark. Her two sons later committed suicide as well. Anne's mother-in-law grimly said, well, that's that. She shot my son and Truman murdered her. Wow, guys, that took a turn and I have chills. This writer is amazing. I just want to be clear. I've seen Infamous. I've seen Capote and several, I think three, interviews on YouTube. And other smaller interviews that he does with different um, talk show hosts. And I've heard of Answered Prayers. And in Infamous and Capote, they kind of make light of it. Like, oh, it's this, like, oh, funny that people are annoyed because they're society people and God forbid anybody talk about them and, and yada yada. I did not know that this was written and that is shocking to me and it literally okay guys so this is really long and so i think i'm gonna make this two parts and yeah i'm sorry that it's ending on such a sad 
desperately sad ending. I don't even know what to say about that. I did not. I had no clue. Um, yeah. So I hope you all learned a lot, and I will see you all again soon.